Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. White privilege is just an acknowledgement that our world is uneven. We live in a country that's unequal. All human beings share solidarity. All of us are made in God's image equally and therefore worthy of dignity. We're all ruined and rebellious against God and therefore calls us solidarity in sin. We all need the same Savior. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Don't say you haven't been warned this is wretched radio (laughs) hey did you hear the big news another branch of our government has decided to give a big thumbs up to gay marriage the senate voting 61 to 36 that means 12 republicans joined the chorus that endorses something the bible forbids and this in my opinion is yet another bellwether That should warn us we better start thinking about what it looks like to live in a post-Christian America. We must consider how now shall we live knowing that the foundations of a nation are crumbling from underneath our feet. What are you considering as we watch story after story that is telling us, (laughs) Will Robinson... You're in danger. Your lifestyle, the way you raise your family, where you go, what you say, whether you gather freely, and for all evangelicals, whether or not you can carry a gun. Everything is changing, and you and I would do well to consider more than the Benedict option. What is that? Well, that's Rod Dreher's response to what he saw. It's probably two years old now that the culture is becoming so anti-Christian. We better exercise what a St. Benedict did. Live basically in a monastery, create your own community, form some sort of Christian cloisters where you can do commerce with one another and survive as the world grows cold in its love for Christians. I don't think that that is the best option. In fact, I don't think it's a good option at all. We're not called to run away. We're called to stand and speak and Take the consequences for being salt and light. Don't forget, we do have an example. Our Savior suffered, and it is called a privilege to suffer with him. It is a privilege. That's a tough note to hear, isn't it? But you and I need to start making plans now, and I don't think escaping to the hills is what the Bible prescribes. Instead, I think we need to exercise the Jesus option. What is the Jesus option? Well, you've got to ask yourself the question, what is he doing? What is the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer of the universe up to? And the answer is the cross. He wants people to know how amazing he is by looking at their own sinfulness, seeing the curse that is on them placed on the Son of God, that they might be saved and enter into fellowship and union with other like-minded believers. Jesus is building his church. That's what he's up to.
That is the institution that concerns him, if you will, the most, the local church. And if you are not yet a member of a local church, don't say you haven't been warned. Don't say that nobody told you about the importance of the local church. Perhaps you've heard it even from the church where you are a regular attender. Become a member. It is you're going to need it. You are going to need to be with people who are willing to lose life. We are willing to lose family. We're willing to lose goods. Oh, yeah, that's what Martin Luther sang about, and we probably joined him. But now it looks like it could be coming a reality. Take they our lives, goods, fame, child, or wife. They've yet nothing won. We are members of the kingdom. And if you are not committed to a local church, skedaddle, find one, start one, get in one, start serving. And you say, well, my church isn't that great. If it is small old orthodox, join it and start developing a community where you will be safer. I cannot tell you how many times in the course of a day I'm reminded of the importance of the local church. For instance, you're lacking assurance, but you're not a member of a local church. You're not spending as much time there. Well, that could be one of the reasons that you don't have assurance, because when you are serving in a local church, then people are seeing you and they can come alongside you and say, hey, Bill. I mean, assuming, of course, your name is Bill. Hey, Bill, I've just noticed. Wow, the Lord is growing you. Wow, really? I didn't. I didn't realize that. Thanks for giving me assurance that I'm actually saved. Perhaps you have got a spouse who has become a turncoat. They said they were a Christian when you said I do, but now they're not. And it's hard. In fact, that rascal is acting up. If you were a member of a local church, you could contact your elders and say, hey, my husband is behaving like this. We might want to take a look at church discipline. Would you please inject yourself and help me? But if you're not a member of a local church, I do not believe that a pastor is obligated to help a regular attender. Commit to a local church. It is for your good. Let's just say you find yourself growing a bit cold. Maybe you've even noticed some sins have crept in. Do you have anybody who holds you accountable? You do if you're a member of a local church. You need some help in your battle against that persistent sin, that besetting sin that continues to just nag and gnaw and shout for your attention. If you're a member of a local church, somebody would be holding you accountable, checking in on you, making sure that you're not teaching you, discipling you. You say, I'm lonely. I don't know what song that was, but I know there's a lot of songs about loneliness. You won't be lonely in the context of a local church. You say, I'm scared, then huddle together with other believers and don't just talk politics. Do what we are encouraged to do. Look up. See that Jesus is reigning and it will calm you down when you assemble with other saints. Now is the time for Christians to start turning not to an, ex an, an exclusionary life where, wait, oh, I'm getting out of this place. No, but we are going to become serving members of a local body 
and develop relationships there, develop thinking there, get your emotions under control there so that you might respond to a world that's not stopping. This same-sex marriage bill, this is a big deal. Because we had some hope, didn't we? Well, the, the, the Supreme Court, there were rumors. Clarence Thomas said we might overturn Obergefell, too. Whether that happens or not, the states could certainly enshrine it. I believe 70% of Americans now say, yeah, gay marriage is fine. 70%. All right. That institution is going down the drain. And it is going to affect you. Now, it depends on who on whom? On who you read about whether or not Christians will be safe because of this legislation. Twelve Republicans, by the way, would you like to know their names? <laughs> that voted for this thing. Roy Blunt of Missouri, Richard Burr and Tom Tillis of North Carolina. Oh, oh. The fall of the South right there. Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia. Ms. Collins from Maine. Ms. Ernst of Iowa. Ms. Loomis, Lisa Murkowski, and Dan Sullivan, those two from Alaska. Rob Portman of Ohio. Hey, here's a shocker. Mitt Romney of Utah. Well, why wouldn't he? His church, if you want to use that term, his church just said, yeah, we're okay with it. Just don't hurt us. Leave us alone. Let us continue doing our thing behind closed doors and buildings without windows. His denomination, although it's not a part of small old Orthodox Christianity, endorsed it, and so did he. There were efforts by some Republicans to strengthen the protections for Christians. The Lee Amendment, they were just shot down. It makes you wonder why, doesn't it? Now, some people... For whatever this is worth, David French would say, no, it's fine. It's satisfactory. The protections for Christians, it's not going to cause problems. The other Republicans didn't agree, and the Lee Amendment was shot down. There were three efforts to strengthen religious protections, all of which were rejected. What does that tell you? Al Mohler is saying, get ready. This is going to affect not just butchers and bakers and wedding cake makers. This is going to affect the local church. This is going to affect Christians. What you get to say, how you exercise your freedom of religion. It is time to consider what option should we exercise. And the answer is clear. It doesn't come from St. Benedict. It comes from King Jesus. Become a serving member of a local church. If you don't think that you need it now, mm -hmm, you're going to need it soon. And yet, I do believe there are more musings we must consider in light of a shifting society. Next on Wretched Radio. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. 
MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which, by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare, and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. If you've ever considered donating to Wretched and you haven't quite pulled the trigger yet, I want to encourage you that there has literally never been a better time. Thanks to some very generous gospel partners, every single dollar that is donated until the end of the year will be matched by them. In other words, you can double the impact of your generosity by giving to Wretched before year's end. We are humbled and grateful for all the Lord has done in 2022, and we have no plans of slowing down in 2023. But we need your help and support to continue reaching millions all over the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Head to wretched.org slash donate right now to get all of the details. Or you can also text the word wretched to the number 44321. That's wretched.org slash donate or text the word wretched to the number 44321. 200. That's right. 200 Tomorrow Clubs are now up and running again in Ukraine. That means kids are hearing the gospel. They're getting saved. Their parents are getting saved. The church is getting strengthened. Not only are the Tomorrow Clubs busy preaching the gospel, they're also very busy helping people. This is our buddy Max in Ukraine. We have created the Ukraine Support Fund. Thanks to our partners, Tomorrow Clubs began immediate assistance to the network of the local church. It became a safe place for thousands of refugees fleeing their devastated homes. Providing food, providing clothing, potable water, a safe place, communication. Would you please consider becoming a ministry partner of the amazing ministry called Tomorrow Clubs? You can learn how you could participate in the spreading of the gospel in Eastern Europe at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Books of the Bible When Habakkuk saw violence and injustice in Judah, he complained to God. God promised to use the Chaldeans to punish Judah. But Habakkuk complained that they were even worse than Judah. God said that he would punish the Chaldeans after using them to purify Judah. God uses all things for his glory and the good of his people, even evil things. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Prepare to feel the love. This is Wretched Radio. The Senate voting to pass a gay marriage bill, the ironically titled Respect for Marriage Bill. <laughs> that, that would be like passing a bill that says it's okay to punch small children in the nose and saying we're calling it the Child Protection Bill. What? Well, that does 
but you're putting it doesn't protect and it doesn't respect. And yet 12 Republican senators joined all the Democrats in the Senate. It still has to go through the House. It still has to be signed. But that is almost inevitable. And even if a, a, a movement of God in thwarting this very sinful legislation it's certainly inevitable, isn't it? When 70% of Americans say, yeah, we think that gay marriage is just fine. Here's a quote from the president of the United States, taking a page from his predecessor, Barack Obama, a fundamental truth. Love is love. There it is. And Americans should have the right to marry the person they love. That means we are on a slippery slope that will not cease if love is love because sin is never satisfied if that is the mantra of our society you can look forward to not just person but persons then it's going to be challenged why people after all if love is love what's wrong with a goat we are headed toward corinth <laughs> that's the way that they behaved in the old days, which means we're not progressing, we're regressing, which means you and I would do well to consider, are we doing all the things that we should be doing in light of an increasingly hostile society? I have for your consideration six musings that you and your local church and your family should consider least ponder a little bit. The first musing, of course, was the diatribe I just delivered on becoming a member of a local church. I'm telling you, as the world becomes increasingly hostile, you, 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 we, we just don't think that those things that we saw in other regimes that crumbled could possibly happen. We just don't think that the persecution that we've seen throughout the 20th century and into the 21st century, it couldn't happen to us. Yeah, it can. And it likely will. I'm not a prophet, but all of the signs are there. The hostility toward Christians and their Christ. It is heating up, and there is no reason to believe that the DNA in Americans is any different than the DNA that was in Germans in the 20th century or Russians in the 20th century. We must think this through. So here are more musings besides becoming a member of a local church. We need to get this through our head. This place, it ain't our home. I, I love the concept of America that was originally intended. I love it. It's done much good. It is. It has helped to make Christianity a powerhouse. It has helped us to make more books, build more seminaries. That's right. I said make more books, build more seminaries, build churches, send missionaries, fund people overseas that are believers. And that's changing. And that's a bummer. But. Because the Lord is in the details, the devil isn't in the details, the Lord is. The devil's kind of a big picture sort of guy. He tosses out stuff, a lot of stuff, worldview things, ideologies, philosophies, false religious systems, a shifting in values. He kind of 
Well, let's give this a try. And one of his efforts that I believe has succeeded, and this might sound a little bit, huh, is the ease of life that you and I currently enjoy. Look, it's a blessing. And I would prefer to continue to have tap water that I can consume without being concerned that I'm going to get some sort of bug. But because things are so easy, doesn't it cause us to think, if we're honest, well, we don't need God as much as we should think we need God because we do need God. If you were struggling for potable water, you'd be needing God a lot. We might even start doing, oh, what's that biblical word? We might start fasting again. Because we recognize our need for God, but because of all of the ease that you and I experience from transportation, education, electronic media, running water, electricity, just on it, dry cleaners. Oh, you want a knickknack or a paddywhack? There's the gizmo store at the mall. Just go and pick it up and you can get stuff from all over. The, this, it's easy. And because of that ease... Maybe you and I think we don't need the local church as much. I'm doing fine. I listen to John MacArthur like all the time. And that's great that you do. And we want to receive those blessings. But we need to remember that this place, this is not our home. And maybe as these things potentially get ripped away from us, we'll increasingly arrive at that destination, that we are king, we are kingdom members of a different kingdom. Yeah, we're here, but we are a member of Christ's church, his body, and maybe we need to stop clinging so tightly, relying on the advancements that we enjoy these days. And even as we continue to enjoy, enjoy them, I'm not suggesting that we just abandon all of them. Well, don't pay the electricity bill, dear, because we're going to go without lights. No. Enjoy that stuff, but let's not forget this place ain't our home, and we need God a lot. It would be wise of us to make that brain shift before it is demanded of us. Perhaps, number three, musing, brace yourself for this, maybe just maybe, it's time for the church to get out of the marriage business. You say, hey, that's a Christian institution. I say, I agree. It's a biblical institution. It is an idea created by God in the garden. And so we see marriage throughout human history, but now as it's being so corrupted, so redefined, and most likely churches at some point will be forced to perform gay marriages Maybe we need to say, we're out of that business. I, I'll miss the word. I recognize the difficulty of this. You, two people, you, what, are they, what are they doing? They get married. That's just our lingo. It's an institution. How's about we let the government have marriage and we take over covenantal ceremonies? Do you want to get married? Then you come to church and we will make a covenant together and you can sign it in your Bible, and you're married in the eyes of God, and you can't get divorced unless, of course, there are two exceptions, because you have vowed before witnesses and before God that you are going to spend time loving one another, serving one another till death do you part. Now, if you want to go to the government and to City Hall to get that certificate that gives you some tax breaks, feel free to do that, but you're already 
covenanted. See how hard it is to just get rid of the word marriage? I get that, but maybe we need to get out of the business so that we aren't forced to do it. When the government comes knocking, hey, you got to do gay marriages. We don't do marriage at all. Which brings me to musing number four. Maybe you need to add to your statement of faith. Only couples who are members of this local body and living a life in alignment with our statement of faith are covenanted here. That's all we do here. Just those people, right? And if you want to stick with marriage, so be it. This might be a protection for you that you say, no, we can't marry that couple. They're not serving members living in alignment with our statement of faith. Now, that might just be kicking the can down the street a little bit, but nevertheless, another musing. Perhaps it's time for us to really get serious about separating the church from government. It's been an interesting conversation in our country, separation of church and state. It's been abused by liberal people trying to demand, you just got to get out of government. You can't bring your values into government. Well, it was a founding father original intention that there'd be a separation, but it there's something that predates even the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, and that is the Bible. The government is a different realm, and we now have a governmental realm that is endorsing wickedness on virtually every level, and it's time for us to say we're not a part of that. Yes, I'm going to be a citizen. I'm going to obey the laws, but I'm a member of a different kingdom, and you can't have anything from our kingdom. This will sound wacky. Please stop celebrating Christmas as a national holiday. That's ours. You're a pagan nation. Have your winter solstice celebration. But Christmas belongs to us. A Christian flag flying on a government building? Nope, you do not get that privilege any more than we'd want a Christian flag flying on a Planned Parenthood clinic, which, by the way, the government supports and funds. Maybe, just maybe, we need to start as the church, protecting the church, separating the church from a realm of society that has become downright evil. Feel free to muse away about whatever you do. <laughs> we really better start musing about this lickety split. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. According to the CDC, at least 2,900 Americans have died from the flu since October, according to new data. The CDC is estimating at least 6.2 million illnesses, 53,000 hospitalizations, and of course the 2,900 deaths from the flu, which is pretty surprising to me since I didn't even think the flu existed anymore. Marie Curie, which is a charity organization in the UK that provides care to people with terminal illnesses, recently apologized to a Christian chaplain who was told he would face consequences for refusing to remove a cross while volunteering for the charity. According to the story, a Methodist minister instructed Derek Timms, the 73-year-old chaplain, to stop wearing his small cross pin on his shirt while he volunteered for the Spiritual Advisors Program. The minister warned that the cross could offend or create barriers with patients. The Christian Legal Center, which represented Tim's, reported that the issue first began in September when Marie Curry changed the names of their chaplains to spiritual advisors on behalf of a new interfaith approach. Yeah, I'd say that's an organization you don't want to be a chaplain for at all. 
Well, the YouVersion Bible app has announced that Isaiah 41.10 was the platform's most shared Bible verse in 2022. Isaiah 41.10 reads, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The Episcopal, air quote, church has continued to suffer declines in membership and worship attendance. According to the official statistics, which were released last week, the denomination has nearly 60,000 fewer members than it did in 2020. The membership is nearly 400,000 fewer than it was in 2012, probably because it's not a church anymore. Senator Lindsey Graham said during a Fox News interview on Wednesday that Apple is making a big mistake when it comes to siding with the Chinese Communist Party and their crackdowns on protests throughout China. Graham said that corporate appeasement of the Chinese Communist Party is pretty rampant. He continued saying to do business in China, which Apple does, you either have to leave your customer base or follow their lead. Suspected Falati herdsmen and other terrorists in the past month have killed at least 30 Christians in Nigeria where they also demanded payment for a corpse after collecting ransom for a Christian that they kidnapped and killed. Nigeria ranks seventh on the 2022 World Watch list of countries where it's most difficult to be a Christian. They also led the world for Christians killed for their faith last year. And as we tell you so frequently here at Wretched, please make sure that you continue praying for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Important dates in Christian history. 1536. John Calvin publishes The Institutes of the Christian Religion, the most substantial theological work of the Reformation. Calvin's ideas would deeply influence church and politics in Switzerland and Scotland and take root in the newly discovered North America. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Who's keeping score? Apparently Jimmy is. This is Wretched Radio. Six musings that you and I should ponder in light of a culture that is becoming very anti-Christian. Jimmy and your rather stuffy nose, you counted five. (laughs) I counted five. And you are correct, sir, because I've withheld the sixth one because... It's a big subject. It also happens to be, unfortunately, a rather contentious subject. And if nothing else, perhaps we should just take it off of that list of hot button issues that keep us from getting agitated at one another. And that is the subject of how now does a Christian live in light of a hostile government or potentially hostile government or anti-Christian, anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-Bible government? How do we live? There was an interesting article written by Nicholas Batzig. Nicholas Batzig, he's a pastor, Presbyterian fellow. He's also an editor for Ligonier. I believe he's the one who maybe still does, runs Reformation 21. It's called The Shadowy Nature of the Theocracy. And this is something that you and I should muse about. How are we going to respond to the government who gets increasingly, to say the least, agitating? As you start to see bad decisions encroaching on your faith, on your family, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? How will you react These currents are currently shifting in Christendom. 
you see the liberals, they're trying to take a term and they're trying to paint it as just automatically horrible and then besmirching anybody who's a Christian who happens to say something good about the United States of America, Christian nationalism. Oh, you're a Christian nationalist. That's a bad thing. Well, wait, hold on. What's your definition of this? To say that I like the ideals originally intended for this country doesn't mean that I'm going to blow up a government building. But that's what they would like to paint you as. And we have to admit there is a movement out there and it's not insubstantial. And I will say this, it is not to take an unnecessary pot shot, but it seems it's especially in some, not all, but in some charismatic circles, the NAR movement, it's a dominionist movement. It's, it's an eschatological movement that says we have to somehow gain control over the mountains that exist in our society, the mountain of education, the mountain of family, the mountain of business, the mountain of entertainment. We, we get control of those government. We get those under our authority and Jesus will return. And so there are major events being held that are stirring up Christians to say, we got to take this place and put it under the Christian dominion for the sake of the return of Jesus Christ. We better muse on this. You better muse on your eschatology, which is exactly what Nicholas Batzig points to in this article titled The Shadowy Nature of the Theocracy. He explains, with a burgeoning interest in the idea of Christian nationalism, please note, and this doesn't even do it justice because Christian nationalism has such a vast semantic range. But the liberals say Christian nationalism is anybody who likes a Kate Smith tune. You're a nat Christian, nat and that, that's bad. On the other hand, you do have Christians who are saying, you better believe I'm a Christian nationalist, and here's my definition of it. And that's what we should be musing on. And this is not a short conversation. This is one that it's big, and we've got to recognize that throughout history, Christians have wrestled with this. It isn't simple, and that's why it needs to be taken off the, ah, oh, that person said that about how we're supposed to live. Let's, let's just all dial it back a little bit and work through this. Nicholas Batzig help, is helping us. With a burgeoning interest in the idea of Christian nationalism, the Christian church in America has seen a renewed interest in modified versions of theonomy. What is theonomy? Well, transliterated God law, that the laws of God, particularly from the Old Testament, they apply to all societies at all time. Every people group should be living underneath God's laws. That's theonomy. It was a politico-theological movement that arose out of reform theological circles in the 1970s and 80s. And if I could just take a brain synapse juncture for a moment, Calvin University in Grand Rapids, that is a reformed church, about 200,000 members. This is their premier educational institution. They have said along the way, and this is to be applauded, that we are going to follow the tenets of the confessions of faith that we historically recognize, which, of course, means that marriage is between a man and a woman. But the board for Calvin just decided there are some people on staff who don't agree with that tenet 
of the confessions, and we're going to let them become stay as staff members, <laughs> which means they just threw out the confessions. <laughs> if you're going to give an exception, what other exceptions are you going to give? I mean, why? where do you stop with this? And the answer is you don't stop because the slope always slips downward. Calvin University, uh-oh, let's hope somebody gets a hold of that decision and changes it. But back to theonomy. It was Reformed theological circles in the 70s and 80s that promoted this idea. The central figures, R.J. Rush Dooney, Gary North, Greg Bonson, Ken Gentry, and Gary DeMar. The various forms of theonomy have commonly been dominated by both adherents and critics using the term dominion theology, that we take dominion because God is in control of everything, that there is, there is not a rogue molecule in the universe. Okay, that's true. Now, how does that apply then to societies? And the theonomist would say it absolutely applies, whether they believe in it or not. They are still underneath God's authority. He's controlling everything, and it is actually best for them if they just get in alignment with his laws and live by them because God is in control of everything. So we as Christians need to work toward that end to develop, if you will, a theocracy, meh, but definitely a theonomy. That is a growing concept in evangelical Christianity right now. Have you mused on this? Christian Reconstructionism or General Equity Theonomy is another term that gets those two terms get used along with Dominion Theology. While differences certainly exist in the specific way in which the theonomists package their proposals, there's a common commitment to emphasize that God desires the implementation of the Old Covenant civil laws into the governments of the world in the New Covenant. That means if this movement is growing, you're going to hear about it. Or you won't hear about it, but you are going to hear the application of this theology. In other words, this is how we respond to the government. And here's one of those phrases that gets used. Obedience to God means we resist tyrants. So resisting tyrants is obedience to God. Now, they might not say, well, that's a theonomy term, but that's an application of theonomy that we now must, in obedience to God, who is in control of every molecule in the universe, we must participate in God law being implemented everywhere, and we must resist the tyrants. That's obedience to God, therefore. That is a phrase that perhaps you've heard. Need to wrestle with that. Need to think that one through. Need to muse on that. Because we've got a lot of questions that need to be asked, don't we? All right. Resisting the tyrants. Well, what does the word resist actually mean? Does it mean revolution? Does it mean revolt? Does it mean bearing arms? Does it mean voting? Does, what exactly does it mean? Furthermore, what are the mechanisms that must be implemented? What are the boxes that need to be checked in order for us to say now's the time to resist? Is it abortion? Is it having your picture taken of you naked to get into an airplane ride at the airport? Is it that our government is endorsing and sanctioning gay marriage? What, what, when exactly do we start resisting? Or 
do we start to bear arms? Got to ask the question, where, what, what, what are the parameters here of living and trying to implement a theonomy in America? Have you mused on it? Have you heard about it? Have you thought it through? By the way, your eschatology is going to play a very big role in this. This usually comes from folks who are post-millennial. It makes sense. This is what must happen before Jesus returns. We got to get the place under control, and then Jesus comes back. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not trying to be condescending about somebody's position. I'm just saying that's basically the idea, that in order for Jesus to return, we need to be having the dominions of our society under Christian authority. That's being promoted quite a bit by post-millennialists. If you're a pre-trib dispensationalist, that doesn't quite make sense at all, does it? In other words, you and I at this time are called upon to delve into a subject that perhaps heretofore we have not been too nuts about, eschatology. This is Wretched Radio. Hey, isn't this... Groovy. Dozens of crisis pregnancy centers have been vandalized or set on fire because of the Roe v. Wade decision. A preborn center in Buffalo was firebombed. A preborn clinic in Gresham, Oregon was hit with an incendiary device. A preborn clinic in Miami vandalized and they're receiving bomb threats. In other words, the battle for life is becoming a battle for life. And yet, the preborn centers continue to open. Support organizations like Preborn and like your local pregnancy clinic that are unwaveringly and without fear opening again today, offering free, loving, Christ-centered alternatives to these young women. Be part of the solution. Please join the literal battle for life preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched hey thanks for listening to wretched radio today and thank you for all you do to support our efforts at reaching millions around the world with the gospel 2022 has seen some pretty major releases around here from our latest productions transformed in breaking bread to a third season of road trip to truth and hundreds of hours of wretched radio and tv and none of it would have been possible without you your generous support is what helps us continue reaching more people in more spaces. So before 2022 officially comes to a close, would you consider becoming a gospel partner if you're not already? Thanks to some other very generous gospel partners, every dollar donated between now and year's end will be matched. So you can literally double the impact of your gift right now to Wretched. Just visit wretched.org slash donate to get all the details. Wretched, amazing grace amazing gospel you're familiar with this sound you're sitting in church your pastor is preaching you have your john macarthur study bible open the pastor is reading the scripture and all of a sudden you hear everybody in church turning the page because they all have the same macarthur study bible why because it is so helpful to be able to read study notes underneath the verses to really grasp what god's word is trying to teach how would you like to share the joy of putting a John MacArthur Study Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines? They typically make about $12 to $15 per, not hour, per day. 
It's a luxury item, and it would be such a blessing. $25 a Bible, four Bibles, $100, or perhaps you could send a Bible to a brother or sister in the Philippines every single month. Would you please consider doing that to bring joy to our brothers and sisters? Wretched.org slash Bible. Know your church fathers. Ignatius of Antioch was a disciple of Peter and John and the Bishop of Antioch. He was arrested and sentenced to die in the Roman arena. As he prepared to go to his death, Ignatius said, Let fire and cross, flocks of beasts, broken bones and dismemberment come upon me, so long as I attain to Jesus Christ. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Precious institution. Hey, that's us. This is Wretched Radio. Let's kick off church news with a story we're not going to talk about. And you're saying, then why are you talking about not talking about something? Because I'm trying. Ooh, it ain't easy, but I'm trying (laughs) to practice some self-control. Why? There are rules of discernment. There are some principles that we must adhere to or to which we must adhere. If you're like me and you hate, no, you're like I and you, oh, being a grammar Nazi isn't easy. Uh-oh, can I use the word grammar still, or no. will we get timed out on Facebook yep. for that? Yeah, we've got to follow some rules. And right now, there is a church news story that I think is important, but I don't know if it's important enough to potentially sully the reputation of an individual. Now, There are times when somebody does something that's definitively sullying that we should talk about it because we've got something new to add. It will be helpful for the strengthening of the body, the defending of the faith, the protecting of the sheep. But there might be times where you go, um, uh, is it, does, is that necessary? Do I need to do that? And right now my answer is I'm not sure. So I'm not gonna now, might we do it next week? Yes. After I think about it, after I talk to wise people, now I know what Jimmy is thinking. You already talked to me about it. That's precisely my point. I need to talk to some wise people to get some input into this story. Yeah. You do news every day. I do. There's got to be times where you go, "Uh, yeah. And I think that is a pretty good principle. Yeah. And I don't use those times. Yeah. You just don't do it. You just, it's just, it's just safer to do that. Doesn't mean that you don't ponder it and potentially talk about it later. But if you're feeling that's eh, just wisdom, it's not a peace that God gives or a lack of peace that He is not granting that causes you to make a decision. That's some evangelical lingo we use, isn't it? Well, you know, I I just don't have a peace about this, so we're not moving to Cleveland, which Quite honestly, I don't know who could have a piece about moving to Cleveland. The point is, although Cleveland, or is it Cincinnati, which is the 
Oh, Ohio, you've got too many major cities. You've got Dayton and Akron and Cincinnati and Cleveland. Uh, Cut back on the big cities, if you'd be so kind, because the rest of us get confused. Which is the one in the north, Jimmy? That's Cleveland, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's... uh, They're all up north. They're all up north. (laughs) Well, the the, the cities, Cincinnati and Cleveland, I think both actually have improved so much. They're actually quite hopping towns, and you've got a job offer from Cleveland. Uh, I don't have a piece about it. Is that the Lord trying to tell you something? Well, you could say that's always a possibility, certainly, but that's not his normative practice. He doesn't encourage us to make decisions based on how we feel. But having said that, if you've got an uneasy feeling about something, it could be your brain going, hold it. There's you're you're forgetting something. You haven't pondered something. You haven't sought godly counsel on this subject. Slow your roll. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and it ain't easy because, oh, it's actually a good story. But and so we're not going to talk about it. Let's instead talk about, hey, how's about this? A large group of Methodists are saying we can't be a part of the UMC anymore. Officially, the UMC has not changed its definition of marriage, but (laughs) the tides are rolling in. And in South Carolina, was it South or North Carolina? North Carolina. North Carolina, 240-some churches left. Boom. And I think about 20 others left earlier in the year. That's that's most excellent. Now, I don't know what they're going to become. I don't know what they're going to do. But if nothing else, this does raise a question for us about denominationalism. Is it necessary? Well, you have to take a look at the Bible, and you can conclude it is not mandated because it really isn't a concept that is addressed in the Bible, that there is an HQ someplace that oversees to varying degrees the statement of faith, the behavior, the relationships, the spending of a group of like-minded local churches. You just don't see that. So you'd be hard-pressed to say, oh, no, you've got to be a part of a denomination. Well, no, you don't gotta. But is it wise to? And I think the answer to that question, now just if if you're non-denominational, which, by the way, non-denominational churches have now exceeded the number of Southern Baptist churches, that's a big shift. And the question is, are, are those churches doing it the right way? And obviously, I think the answer is it depends. It depends on what safety mechanisms they're putting into place. It's not mandated that we're a part of a denomination, but there is some wisdom to it. If, if the original founders say, look, this denomination, they're in perfect alignment with our theology. Let's become a part of it. Now, let's just say that down the line, the original members, the original founders, they die and the kids take over and they're not quite as conservative. Well, the denomination watching a church go astray can say, whoa, 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 whoa. And in a sense, exercise a form of church discipline by setting them outside of the denomination. Saddleback church. I'm sorry, a little tickle. It's that time of year. Apparently, denominations are smart in that they offer mechanisms that keep churches 
a bit safer. Now you say, but they're not mandated. Furthermore, I can't seem to find one where we slot in perfectly, or it's got this issue. We've got that issue. We've got this issue with the mortgage on the building. Who gets the all of, okay. So what could you do as a non-denominational church? Might I suggest, and I, I just, this isn't a mandate either, but I think this is wisdom. Be a part of something where there can be some accountability. Find local churches that are like-minded and develop a relationship with them. You say there aren't any. All right, then expand your territory, not in a Jabez kind of way, but start looking out in bigger concentric circles. Are there churches in your county? Are there churches in your state? Find them and talk about how we can hold each other accountable, how we can go about the business of getting wise input from like-minded brothers who might have experienced the same thing that we have. Furthermore, pastor, for you, I get this. You are want to reveal some things that you're thinking about, feeling, or considering. Because you're afraid if I share what I'm thinking about this subject, yikes, the people in my church, they're going to have a panic. And if they find out that I'm actually pondering taking a call to another church, it's going to cause so many problems. And we've got Mrs. Johnson just had the baby and it's going to cause such a ruckus. Who are you going to talk to? Oh, yeah. You can call up that guy who's in a like-minded church that you have a relationship with, who's not inside of your church and will hold it as a confidence. In other words, I think there's wisdom in being a part of something. And speaking of denominations, how's about that Anglican communion? Huh? For the first time in history, England is now a minority Christian nation. Ooh, England. Great. What made Great Britain so great? Now, of course, they didn't do everything perfectly. What system does? But were they not responsible for the propagation of the Christian gospel? Were they not the missionary sending people? We were too in America, but England most definitely. And whether you like it or not, America did come out of England. You may recall if, you know, you still study history in the public schools and Recall the founding of the nation. England has had such a massive impact on Western civilization with Christianity being spread, Christian values being applied. And now 46.2% of the population of England and Wales consider themselves Christian. Oofda, that hurts. In 2011, to the precipitous fall of the members of the Anglican Communion, which is the predominant Christian expression in England. There are others, but the Anglican communion, the Church of England is obviously the biggie. 2011, 59.3% said we're Christians. Today, 46.2%. Now, I'm not really good at math, but that's like 13.1% down because the Anglican communion. Now, if you're going to go down and denominations might, you're going to go... It, you're, you're going to be threatened. It could become difficult. Time passes. Moods change. If you're going to go down, because you probably are, go down biblically. Don't go down because you're compromising and not standing for anything. If you're going to go down, let's do it right. And until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>